Hello there. You are listening to At The Well, the bi-monthly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of Scripture. I'm Jarrell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And we're delighted that you are joining us for this week's discussion. Gentlemen, Easter was yesterday. Happy Easter. It's good to see you both virtually. How how was your Easter Sunday? It was wonderful. I had um, my dad and my sister in town, uh, and that was lovely, uh, great food, good time with friends. It was a good celebration of Jesus's resurrection. Also good. Um, praise God for the resurrection uh, on on Sunday pastor spoke about or one of our pastors spoke about first corinthians 15 talking about just sort of the ramifications of the necessity of the resurrection right like we would be our, our faith would be in vain if, if if jesus didn't get out of his tomb um but then also not just what would happen if the if the resurrection didn't happen but also the ramifications of because he rose because that happened in history um what is the freedom that we have how does what does it mean to live in 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 light of the glory of God. Um, but then also, yeah, similarly to Charles, hung out with a ton of people from church, um, had a great meal. I had my first on Good Friday. Um, I had my first Seder meal. Um, so like a bunch of us had a really interesting um, Seder Good Friday meal celebrating that. And, and we ate bitter herbs and there was an actual ceremony of like mm. people washing each other's hands. Um, it was, it was, one of the more intense things that I've been to, I was like, oh, I could make this, I would like to make this a regular part of my my year because it added to the reflection of it. So Good Friday was mm. good. And then Easter was amazing. Lovely, lovely. Charles, you? I think we shared a Seder meal when we were in Florida. The spring break yes. trip, we have a Seder meal? That's right. That's we, right. Did. we did. That was a good time. It's a good time. Um, yeah, there's so much about the... Uh, thoughtfulness that goes into the the seder that is just so like like physical reminders of salvation history and how it relates to uh christ's death and resurrection it's like really really impactful i'm glad you got to experience that yeah same um for me we we were gonna go to the good friday service at my church on friday but on friday of course um but uh but sandy was feeling pretty sick so we hung back at home. But then Saturday, we got to go to the vigil at Charles and Chelsea's church, which was lovely. Um, where else? I didn't know your dad and Elizabeth were in town. So I saw them and I was like, oh, wow, the Wesleys. Hey, <laughs> big deal, big deal. Right? I was like, goodness gracious. Like, well, it's nice surprise to see you guys. Um, so that was really, that was a good, really wonderful service. And also just a nice surprise to see some, some folk from Michigan. Um, and then Easter Sunday was pretty chill. Uh, church at, um, at church, our pastor talked about Zacchaeus and um, just like the redemptive work of Christ in his life and how, like what that yielded to and parallels to our lives. Um, I had to, I had to work yesterday, like not for long, but like, Ooh. yeah, it was Ooh, dumb. The organization, which I won't name, but I want to, because those yeah. people need to lead to learn. Like it's dumb. No. It's happened. No. It's happened a couple times. No, twice. I was least. working for the organization. Yeah. We had to work a uh, little bit. We had a meeting. Time. We had a meeting. That was okay. The meeting wasn't, the meeting was like 30 minutes. I was like, this is dumb, but like, whatever. This was like, 
like legit, like pretty substantial operations that most of which got canceled because a lot of people couldn't go because it corresponded with like Easter, Passover, spring break for most. It was dumb. Um, so I, I worked for like an hour, which was OK. But it was it was also like, guys, this is really stupid. Like at this point, you need to stop forgetting about Easter for a lot of reasons. <laughs> some very personal to me, some incredibly practical. So, yeah, yeah, that was really dumb. But it could have. Yeah, it's just a, it's a thing. <laughs> it's like it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Um, so that was a little stupid, but got through it. It was pretty chill. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was nice. I'm on my last day of spring break. And glad to be here with you both. But let's let's dive right into it. Speaking of Easter, we we do not have a question of the week segment um, this week. Although, if you want to submit a question of the week for us to answer, all you gotta do is email us at three guys at the well at gmail.com. That's the number three. Then guys at the well at gmail.com, all one, one word and lowercase. But we like a couple minutes before we hit record, started talking about something that's I get very annoyed about and that I was happy to find that Charles and Eli also get very annoyed about. And that is the concept and execution of the Easter bunny in popular Easter culture. I'm going to save my rant until the end because I've, I've talked a lot, but gentlemen, we're, we're going to have a, a week, a rant of the week to talk about the Easter bunny and all of its absurdity. Eli, I see that you're unmuted. Go right ahead. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. That was just uh, my reflex. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the word that you use the word execution because the bunny needs to go. Um, I just <laughs> dead, dead <laughs> on site. I just don't understand. I understand like the the sort of theatrics around and in, in the in the the you know candy loving selling factor of a bunny that lays eggs made of chocolate and you search for them like a predator. But um, I just, <laughs> I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't with this whole theme. It's unrelated to Jesus. And that's what Easter is about. It's about Resurrection Sunday. So I just, I don't know the history of where that came from. So if either of you have that, enlighten me. But I also don't care <laughs> to know the beginnings of a lie. <laughs> I don't get it. I, it doesn't make sense as a like a spring if it's gonna be like parallel to spring why wasn't like a bird or like you know the birds come back and I I don't yeah I don't know yeah it doesn't make sense I so I shared this with you both when I, I don't remember this but my mom informs me that when I was four years old she had my picture taken with um, a mall Easter bunny um, the lowest on the totem pole of Easter bunnies. And she told me that afterwards, like I got hand, foot and mouth from the Easter bunny and like, just like, you know, the disease that it was carrying in its fur. Um, so I have, I have a personal vendetta against this bunny because it literally made me ill. Um, but aside from that, yeah, deeply frustrating that it has nothing, it, it has nothing to do with Easter, but also what it actually is, is stupid. Like, Santa doesn't really have anything to do with Christmas, but St. Nicholas was a person who like paid dowries and like left things for kids. There's a historical person that the commercialized version of Santa Claus is based off of. And like, if you cared enough to Google it, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, I, I can see the connection between the two. The Easter Bunny 
is scientifically implausible and loosely connected to spring. And it's just a bunch of things that no one, whoever came up with it thought, no one thought to go, hey, um, this isn't making any sense. Like, no, no, we're going to sell a lot of candy and these baskets just go with it. It, it, it. it annoys me because of how silly it is on its own. Even if you remove the fact that it has nothing to do with Easter, on its face, it's a ridiculous thing. Okay, so I just Googled it and we now know the source of it. So oh dear. according to some sources, some sources, so this is still iffy, the Easter Bunny first arrived in America in the 1700s with German immigrants who settled in Pennsylvania and transported their tradition of egg laying Oh, of an egg-laying hare called Osterhaus or Osterhaus. Their children made nests in which this creature could lay its colorful eggs. Eventually, the custom spread across the U.S. and the fabled rabbit's Easter morning deliveries expanded to include chocolate and other types of candy and gifts, while decorated baskets replaced nests. Additionally, children often left out carrots for the bunny in case he got hungry from all of this hot thing. He's like Santa. He's like right. Easter Santa. But honestly, the German immigrant, the German like background aside, this like Americans just commercialized this this thing for the sake of candy. Yeah. That's literally what I just that's yeah. how I interpret what I just read. Very American. Yep. That is very American. We don't yep. understand this thing, but it seems like a great gimmick. Let's make some money off Let's it. Let's make some money. <laughs> yep. Sell some candy. Yikes yikes yeah. well you heard it here first folks um i say somewhat presumptuously but let's be honest this is our first time hearing it so <laughs> well, nonsense the more you know there you go we're, we're breaking we're breaking uh real news stories here at the well all right enough of that tomfoolery <laughs> we're gonna get back into our season wandering but not lost um where we are examining the principles and values of the church, meaning the body of believers on the earth that were upheld during seasons of wandering. Our whole uh, hope with this is to identify these values and figure out what role they play in our lives now so that we can both come to embrace the formal and corporate gathering of churches or communities um, that we are a part of, but also not limit the body of Christ to a building, to a location, to a uh, people with a name in order to, in for those who are listening that may be in times of deconstruction, to think about the pillars that God himself has put in place for what it means to be a part of the body, what it means to um, gather, and so on. So we, we hope that um, the first three episodes have been effective for that, and we are very excited to get into our next episode, which is on the Sabbath. So if you have your Bibles and you aren't driving, today's passage is from Exodus 23, verses 10 through 12, and Exodus 31, verses 13 through 17. You can start turning there now while I set the scene. The nomadic life has its challenges, but we can count on regular manna and quail from God knows where, literally. Still, though, the traveling, the gathering, and adhering to the commandments do take their toll. Long days of walking, then setting up camp, then waiting for further instructions can be exhausting. And then Moses starts talking to us about rest. When? How? Why? Doesn't he know that we're essentially homeless? 
We haven't yet reached the promised land. How can we afford to take breaks? From Exodus 23. Six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. From Exodus 31. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord your God, who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel will keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And when he made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, this is God to Moses. He gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So, gentlemen, as we start talking about the Sabbath, um, I want your general thoughts. But the first question I have for you is, why did God institute the, the Sabbath at this moment in Israel's history? In the midst of all of their other needs and duties uh, to be a nomadic people, as of which I'm sure there were many, why now? Why the Sabbath? I, uh, I didn't know what you were going to say for the, the kind of setting the scene. But it kind of, I was in preparing for this episode, I, uh, I took out this book, uh, which I think I've talked about before, The Old Testament in Light of the New. I'm holding it up in case we ever release the Zoom video. Hey, the, the, the ATW YouTube channel, man. It's yeah. going to be a banger when it gets. <laughs> That's right. So, but for those who are listening, it's The Old Testament in Light of the New, subtitled Stage of God's Plan by Stephen B. Clark, uh, one of the most informational educational books i've ever read on the bible sponsor the pod steve we know you listen sponsor <laughs> <Yeah>. the pod <laughs> but i i uh found this um section that i want to read um that i think somewhat answers the question that i just found striking um and this is uh the author Stephen talking about um the israelites um particularly in the exile here uh, it says, or he says, very often when people read accounts of the Israelites in the desert, they see it primarily as a time of trial. And it was, and that was alluded to, he was like, this is hard. Why do we have time to rest? Like what's going on here? Uh, uh, it continues, but there was something more important about it than the trials and how the Israelites responded to them. It was primarily a time when God provided for his people, provided food and drink and protection from enemies. This was a time when its people could not provide for themselves using normal human means. So God provided for them directly. It was a manifestation of the kingdom of God when the Lord showed himself to be the king of his people and showed himself a king who could provide for his people. So I, what I got from that was, was two things. One is that the Sabbath, like the, the term, the, the idea is God providing for us what we cannot provide for ourselves? Especially in this day and age, we 
you know, I, I, I call it the idol of busyness, you know, like we, we really place value in how busy we are. Oh, I'm so busy. And like, oh, then you must be important. And like, actually busyness for the sake of busyness isn't good. And even busyness, if it has like merit, isn't good because we need rest and God knew it. And oftentimes our tendency as humans, Israelites, us, whoever is to fill our time and Sabbath um, and this time in exile where they were mandated to rest, to uphold the Sabbath is God providing for us what we could not otherwise provide for ourselves? I know I wouldn't. <laughs> I would not choose necessarily to rest. That's not in my nature. Yeah, no, I I totally get that, Charles. And just to piggyback off of you, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking is that, like, when God frees His people from slavery, right after He got them out of Egypt and and brought them into into their into their wandering, um, into their walk with Him. Um, in their freedom from slavery, God commands them on how to live in freedom. And that includes both the direction and following commandments, but it also includes refreshment and rest. Um, I think a lot of times we immediately think that in freedom, God's like, okay, here's your laundry list of things that I now need you to do. And, and that's actually not what God, like God wants to be completely and is completely sufficient for us. And so um, I also think that verse 13 provides the answer that you're thinking of like surely my sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign between you and me throughout your generations that you may know that i am the lord who sanctifies you and so resting being in the sabbath um is a sign of fidelity to god um but it also shows that we understand like lord is not our imperfect handiwork that sanctifies us it's god himself who sanctifies us to the point you were making before charles like it's it's this is all god um, more specifically, it is Jesus Christ by name who sanctifies us. Um, and so I think for me, what like old speaking of Old Testament in light of the new, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 came to mind for me. Um, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so for us taking a step back from our good work serves to remind us. Um, that our participation in good works is not what's saving us at the end of the day. Um, and so for God, having his children resting is just as important as his children working. Very well said. Um, I was, as I was reading this, I was um, struck by verse 13, 13 as well, Eli, and I'll come back to it. But I was also kind of, um, which verse is it? Oh, the um, verse 15 or says, whoever does work on the Sabbath, he shall surely be put to death. And that like stuck out to me. It's like, oh, that's a really, the like, God takes this seriously. Um, and like, that's something that typically is reserved for, you know, making idols and worshiping other gods or like grave sexual sin. But God also commands this for um, the Sabbath. And I was like, well, why is that? Because I'm like, and and my like human brain, it just, it just comes off as like, well, that seems, those things don't seem to be alike. And yet the punishment is the same. Um, and I think so much of this, it, it ties into what we're going to get to in the next episode, which is actually warning against idols. And it speaks to a theme 
of like what is behind the Ten Commandments, what is behind um, the laying out of the law to the people of Israel and Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers in particular, like what's behind that is God very distinctly and repeatedly trying to get the message across to Israel that like you are mine, act accordingly. Um, and not only act accordingly, but don't forget that you are mine. Um, because he is, as we'll get to, as I said, he knows that they're going to, they're, they're not, they're going to be in situations with other nations, um, who have their own way of doing things and their own gods. And God is preserving for himself a people, um, and has preserved for himself a people. And at this point, he's trying to remind them of who he is and who he is to them specifically. And the Sabbath is one of the ways that he does that. Um, and it's kind of this reminder, as you both have said, of his providence uh, with uh, the food that they are actually allowed to um, reap was food that God sowed by miraculous means. Um, it's a reminder of his providence in Egypt. It's a reminder of his providence to them so far um, that, yeah, in this time of trial, like you said, Charles, it's also a time to remember what God has done for them. Um, and it's just kind of, a, so yeah, I, it's been helpful for me to see it as that. And the idea of like the punishment for it being so steep is like, like imagine if you had, a, we have, we have friends who do a family dinner regularly. Um, like I see is imagining like, if you have if you and your family have a dinner to do pretty consistently, and it's a good thing that you do out of love for the family is that kind of a reminder, let's see each other's faces, let's gather around and talk and eat um, as kind of a centering time for us to be a family together and all the good and bad of the time that we spent um, during our work weeks being occupied with other things. It would be really uh, hurtful, but also uh, dismissive of like that intention if there's a member of the family who's like, I don't wanna go to family dinner. Um, like I've got, I've got other bigger things to do, so I'm gonna go do that. It's not just, ignoring an invitation to a meal it's kind of missing the undercurrent and the inherent point of it which is to remind you of the family that you belong to and the family that welcomes you and so kind of rejecting that is kind of going against that like fundamental identity for Israel um and I mean I get and we, I can have to say that from 40,000 feet talking about it in the past sense but like this is the same uh call that the Lord gives to us to observe the Sabbath now by keeping it holy. Um, and so to transition us from that, I guess, what does that look like? And the lives are just like individual disciples, both in the context of like a formal group, like what if you're a part of a church, um, other than going to church on Sunday, what does Sabbath rest look like? Um, and if you are between church bodies, and you're just kind of doing uh, various things in figuring out what, if you're wandering like Israel is, what role should rest have in your life to honor God's like invitation to be reminded that you're a part of his family? That's a good question. And I want to preface it maybe with another point that stuck out to me or that I've been thinking about and then answer the question. Um, the One of the phrases I read from the book was that that this exile time and within that taking Sabbath um, was a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And I actually think like the command for Sabbath is actually a reminder that we are wandering, but not lost. 
um, a little later on in, in the book, Stephen says, those who are, quote, in exile are people who are not living in a land of their own. That is the condition of all Christians in this age and was the conditions of the Israelites living in Egypt in the book of Exodus, away from the promised land of Cana. The death of Christ on the cross is like the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, which ransomed the Israelites from the oppressed life they were forced to live in Egypt. The sacrifice of Christ allows Christians to journey toward the true promised land. So a reminder that we are wandering, but not lost. We are on a journey with an intention, but we're kind of wandering. And it said, exile people need respite. We need respite. We need Sabbath. We need rest to remember that we are wandering. And we're actually not in the homeland to remember that actually Sabbath is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. Um, and that Christ's sacrifice allows us to be the new Israel, to actually journey towards the promised land. We have access to the promised land, but we are so distracted. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so distracted from the promised land. And Sabbath provides me an opportunity, if I choose to take it, to stop and remember of the Lord's goodness and the Lord's countenance on me. Um, and so to answer your question, I think, you know, there's a lot of, of different ways that we could do it. And you asked pre, uh, specifically how. And the one thing that I reflected on uh, is to reconnect with the most important relationships that we have in our, in our lives. So first and foremost, God. And so being connected to a church body um, and attending a church service would be a part of that if you are actually connected. Uh, you know, uh, attending the Lord's Supper, going to communion, going to service, whatever it's called in the church that you're a part of, that's super important because God is there um, and he's present. And that's the community that you're a part of. Um, so there's God, there's the community that you're a part of. And then like for a lot of us, for most of us, there's family. Um, I actually don't work on Sunday and I spend time all day with my family um, which is um, the nuclear, it's the domestic church, as my church likes to call it. I don't know if that's a universal term, but my church says the family is a domestic church. It's where God is at present as well. And so I think for me, Sabbath practically would mean like making sure that I'm reconnecting with the three most re important relationships I have, which is my church uh, and my community, um, and through that, the Lord and my family. I love that, Charles. Similarly to you, I guess I'll start off at a, a fairly similar point, is that we have to stop and recognize that this is a necessity. It's not a suggestion. It is, in fact, a command. And so what we're working against is uh, living in a culture and in a world that exalts and promotes um, and honors workaholics um, and trains us to be workaholics. And so we are, I think we have to recognize that we are actually fighting against uh, a world that has a misshapen understanding of what work is and how that relates to our value. Um, and we have to say like, no, I resist that. I actually rebuke that. And I, I know that my value is like, God assesses my value with Christ's value on the cross. Like Jesus is infinitely valuable. And so because he saved me, I am therefore infinitely valuable. And so my value doesn't come through how um doesn't come from how 
competent I am or from how efficient I am or for how much how much I can complete in in whatever. Um, so that that actually that reality, that truth frees me up to actually rest and rest well. Um, then I also think that like you asked what role does rest play in our lives? So there's a dichotomy here between work and rest. I think we also have to deal with the fact that rest is not the majority of our lives. I think a lot of this like take back your self-care kind of movement that's happening right now in the culture uh, can cause us to prioritize us, can cause us to prioritize ourselves in a way that kind of leans into selfishness a little bit. Um, And that I think Jesus spoke to in Matthew 12 when he was like, it is good to do good on the Sabbath. Um, and so from the verse that you read, Exodus 23, Jarrell, um, the Lord said this, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. The ratio of work to rest is six to one. Most of our lives is going to be us putting in work and putting in effort, and that's just what it is. And so resting is not a resistance of work. Resting is a, I am deliberately setting aside time to take a step back and do everything that Charles previously explained, which is understand the Lord's provision, understand that I am cared for, understand that he is good, understand there are so many things that I need to prioritize, namely God, my relationship with him, family, and then fellowship with, with, the, with fellow believers. You know what I mean? So like um, rest is a call to prioritize things really well. I like that, uh, that word prioritize, because I think that's, huge to it and that resting well isn't just something you fall into and I, I think that's what you're saying like the the self-care thing it's not as simple as like oh it's sunday everything just is hands up done with it no matter what state it's in resting well requires you to work well um not from a sense of earning it because i think that does in the same way that like a uh, culture of self-care can sometimes be indulgent uh, we also don't want to preach like grind culture of like, you're just constantly, constantly going, but in order for them both to achieve a balance that does what Charles talked about, they have to complement each other well. And so I think part of resting well means working smart, uh, not necessarily smarter, not harder, sometimes that, but usually both. Um, and recognizing that like, well, if I'm going to actually honor the Sabbath, as you said, Eli, uh, the Lord commands, I need to think very consciously about the way that I work the other six days of the week. Um, And it means being very dutiful at the things that I'm responsible for um, during my, whatever my quote unquote nine to five is. Um, It means setting aside the time in a way that makes it harder to move. Um, so like setting time, like, like, like with Charles, like I've got this dinner with my family. I'm not going to just like get up from the table because I've got something to do. Like they, they're expecting me. That's what it is. Um, and I think it's, and in so doing, we honor the Lord as well through, you know, the kind of effort and intention that is laid out in Colossians is like, we're doing all heartily and for the glory of God. And when we can do that, um, six days of the week with our mind to the Sabbath, not as like a reward for doing that, but as a way that we keep our lives balanced and in a proper perspective, um, then yeah, we're more, not just more inclined, but we're more equipped to consider the ways that we work and the ways that they honor the Lord by honoring the way he called us to work, but also honoring uh, the Sabbath. Um, So I think that, I, I just like that 
more of prioritized because I think that that's, uh, that matters. You know, it's uh, being honoring the Sabbath well doesn't mean just getting the Sunday and, you know, kind of letting go things that you probably should have done that like need your attention to go up oh, Sabbath. Don't bother me. Um, so not that. Um, as far as how to do it in different, different contexts. So like I'm in a, a season now, especially where my Sundays look very different. Like as I, I mentioned in the, uh, our rant of the week, like I do a job where I work some Sundays. Um, and part of why I'm there and I, I had to think about this when I, my schedule got shifted to Sundays and I was thinking, well, do I continue doing this? And part of my thought process behind it was like, why I do the job that I do. And a lot of it comes down to relationship and comes down to like relationship and rapport I've built with families um, is like a trusted person in their lives. And I thought, well, this has actually been, a, and I was like, well, this has been a very good uh, ministry for me. And I've actually like been able to have a good impact on the lives of uh, these families I don't want to leave them um, now after like we've made um, progress. And so part of like my occasional work on Saturdays or irregular work on, sorry, on Sundays has been that. Um, but out of an understanding of that, like I sat down with um, Sandy and we, I was like, this is something that's going to change. And I think I should keep doing this, but that makes Sundays look different. And so I can speak to us personally about how like, I've navigated it again, sometimes very well and sometimes not very well and how we as a family have tried to do that. Um, and one of them is that we do a lot of our like rest, no work at all on Saturday. Um, so we have a day of the week where mostly we're just around the house together. We might like tidy up a bit, but usually it's just like we either are doing our own thing for rest or we're doing something together. Um, like we'll go on a hike or we'll just kind of hang out and talk together. We usually do most of our meals together that day. We'll do like a bigger um, dinner and things like that. And that way it's like a, a setting aside of the time, even though the day is different than what is customary. So our Saturdays are like, this is really just us. And those are also days where we often have people over um, and it'll invite friends to gather over a movie or Mario Kart or whatever. But that's one of the ways we've navigated of like, well, we want to set aside a day for that remembrance, for the things that are life-giving and not work-related. And because of different schedules, it's been complicated. So we move, we do a lot of that on Saturday. Um, but even on Sundays, like we do a similar thing where in the afternoons and the evenings, it's mostly just us. Um, we, again, will have a bigger meal together. We'll pr prepare a meal together. Um, which typically means Sandy comes up with the recipe and I'm just the sous chef and I chop and clean dishes. Um, and yeah, we do that as a way of kind of decompressing and then talking about the week to come and the things we're excited for, things we're nervous about, things we're just kind of mad about. Um, we will do family prayer together on Sundays um, in the mornings. And so again, there are things that we do as people who also go to different churches to keep that time set apart and holy without it just being, oh, we went to church, job done. Um, which is another thing that I would uh, put, I don't know if you guys have thoughts on, I think that American church culture has become, oh, church, the Sabbath is holy because you went to church that day. And it's not to say that that's not important. It's not to say don't do it. And if you're between churches, as Charles said, seek out the community of people who are walking with the Lord, because that is one of the ways that we are reminded as the Israelites were, of our sonship and 
uh, daughtership in Christ. But um, I, I, but I do think that if we set the bar at I went to church, Sabbath check mark, then we're missing the point. Because while that is a reminder of who God is, and um, hopefully your church is adhering to that, it is a couple hours over the course of an entire day that we want to be thinking about how to make holy. So I don't say that as like a um, an admonition, but more of it's just an encouragement to consider what makes a Sabbath holy aside from going to church that day. Because I think not not just not you should do more, but I think God just has more for us. And ultimately, the Sabbath is something that was made for us. And seeking the Lord for for that is something that I've found helpful. Amen. Um, I totally resonate with what you just said, uh, Jarrell. Like the Sabbath is ultimately a sign of it's not like a a, a a box checked it's a life lived and so it's like we it's a, it's a part of a fully redeemed life and rest is a part of that and in in our relationship with work is a part of that and so it's not just like a all right cool i'm just going through the week and as you said like just marking things off i went to church that's another thing checked off the list it's like how do i actually incorporate this how does this become all of my life how does how does the people I, uh, how do the people I relate to my brothers and sisters actually be my brothers and sisters who I live life with? Um, and so, yeah, it's, God is looking to, for all of our lives, for the rest of our lives, because a mutual friend of ours likes to say. Um, but one point I was like, because I used to struggle a lot with rest and I'm still coming out of a season where I'm struggling quite a bit with rest. And the thing I was thinking about when I was reading through the Sabbath and then your notes and your questions was just like, what happens when rest is not restful? Um, what happens when like I have a, a Sabbath day and and I come out of it and on Monday, I'm just like, I, I, I don't have any energy. And it made me go into like a, a prayer time and a journaling time and a scripture reading time. And it was, so ultimately I think like one of the major reasons I wanted to share is just like, I struggle with in the air, I've struggled in the area of rest because I've thought in the past that a lot of the work that I do, both secular and the work I do as a disciple of Jesus, I used to think of it, a lot of it as drudgery. I, it was because for me, it was a checklist. It wasn't like a new life that I'm living. It wasn't, okay, this is just what I do now. This is just what I get to do now. It was like, this is what I have to do now. And it was drudgery. It was yet another set of chores that my, instead of my earthly parent, my heavenly father was giving me. Um, and so with that, like, unhelpful and essentially petulant perspective, there was no amount of rest or time away from work that could ever get me refreshed enough for another round of something I didn't want to do. And so, like, my encouragement, if rest doesn't seem like enough, is I encourage you to think about, okay, what work are you doing? And what do you actually think about the work you're doing? Like, is this something you 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 feel? Is there is there giving that you're not cheerful about? Is there something that you um, feel or that you think is something you're being forced to do, or is something that you think that you actually get to do? What's your perspective around the work that you do on your I guess six to one ratio? But like, um, yeah, just an encouragement to discern that because the rest that God calls us to is enough and uh, is sufficient and. When it doesn't feel like it is, it might be because our hearts or our minds aren't wrapped around the work we do in a, in a, in a helpful or in a true way.
I think the last comment I have, I mean, I love everything you say, uh, you've said, but I know for me in the past, I kind of grew up thinking rest looked kind of monochromatic. It looked like going to church, you know, not doing anything, not going to the grocery store, not shopping, not doing yard work. And I've just come to realize that like rest looks different for each of us and kind of going off of what you were saying, like if you extrapolate out if your work, like how are you viewing your work? Well, how are you viewing your rest? And like finding rest is personal. Uh, it's not, it's not like monochromatic. God made us in a beautiful uh, variety of people where you have personalities, we have differences, we have uh, a wonderful tapestry of humanity. Rest doesn't look the same for each of us. And I think it's important for us to understand, figure out, because it is, it takes time to learn how do I actually enter into rest outside of um, not checking a box, but like outside of connecting with the body of Christ on a, on a Sunday, but how do I, how do I find rest? Where do I find the Lord? We have mutual friends who find going for a walk or a hike and finding the Lord in, um, in the beauty of creation. It could be making space beautiful. So someone could like mow their lawn and do gardening and find the Lord there because they are they're uh, participating in creation and making something beautiful. So I think it's going to look different for each of us and not to necessarily uh, compare. <laughs> oh, this person's doing this on, on Sunday, like, uh, and judge them for it or be like, I need to be like them. Um, and do that for my rest. It's going to look different from each of us because we're all going to find the Lord and connect with him in different ways. Uh, so that'd be one kind of reflection I had as well. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. And I, I'll kind of piggyback off that to wrap this here. And God is endlessly creative, um, creative in the way that he has made each of us. And if he's commanding us to rest at every season in our life. That means it, as Eli said, um, as you said, Charles, even if it's different, he has sufficient rest for us at every season of our life in all the ways that we are different from one another. Um, and so if you are finding yourself in as a member of a church or as a church leader, I, I'd encourage you to like exhort the people in your midst to find what that is um, and to see the ways that God has created them to rest. If you are, um, in a place where you're between churches I'd in, or between like church bodies, I'd encourage you to not neglect this command that the Lord has given to not neglect uh, meeting with him through prayer, but also um, getting time with people who are on this like wandering, um, but not lost road with you. Um, and so, yeah, just allow the way that God has made you specifically you to inform the way that you rest. Because um, in doing that, you rest in a way that honors him and honors the intention of the commandment and not just, as we've said, checking a box. Um, so that is uh, helpful and edifying for whatever state you find yourself in. And that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can check us out at atthewell.podbean.com. We upload new episodes every other Monday on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Three Guys at the Well. And if you want even more content and would like to help the podcast grow, consider becoming a patron and head on over to patreon.com forward slash at the well for exciting new bonus content. We'll talk to you soon here at the Well.